The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. The gospel, the very same gospel that you and I live in and under. Right? So what God was doing with Abraham is exactly what he is doing with you and I. All right? And the message and story of the Old Testament is very much the message and story of the New Testament. Uh, it's one story, and it's the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it began in a significant way with Abraham. Uh, later on in Galatians 3, it says this, uh, 3.20 and 29, There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free male or female. Okay, now there's no distinctions. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. Okay, so you are, in that sense, Israelites. Okay, you are the fulfillment of what God began in Abraham. And to be a believer is to be a child of Abraham. All right? Uh, You are the true children. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. So the deal is this. If you're, not, if you're not walking in the promise of Abraham, you're missing out on the fulfillment and accomplishment of God's salvation. All right? So what does all that mean? Well, let's look at Genesis 25. And it sums up Abraham's life this way. Uh, some rather mundane but also kind of surprising details. Uh, verse 1, it says, Abraham married another wife whose name was Keturah, and she gave birth to a whole boatload of children. (laughs) Well, I'm not going to read. And they had children, and they had children. Uh, These were all descendants of Abraham through Keturah, but Abraham gave everything he owned to his son Isaac. Before he died, he gave gifts to the sons and concubines and shipped them off to another place, a distant land away from Isaac. Then Abraham lived for 175 years, and he died at a ripe old age, having lived a long and satisfying life. He breathed his last and joined his ancestors in death. And his son Isaac and Ishmael came and buried him in the cave of Machpelah. Um, Abraham, it says, finally, was died thoroughly blessed of God. Okay, and it concludes that he, in turn, blesses or passes on this blessing to Isaac. Uh, and later on in the New Testament, it makes a very important distinction that, yeah, Abraham had lots of kids, but to be a true son of Abraham was to be the son of blessing, which was Isaac, right? So what does all this mean? Well, let me summarize. I'm, I'm drawing this from a bunch of passages, mostly in the New Testament. Uh, Galatians 3, Romans 4, Hebrews 11, Hebrews 6, uh, Romans 9 and 11. If you want to look all those up. Let me just make three kind of summarizing points, and I'll try to make these quick, about uh, Abraham's life. Okay, First of all, we want to talk about the blessing of God. Okay, What, what Abraham uniquely began was a walk in the blessing of God. Okay, Chapter 12, when, uh, Genesis, when God first calls Abraham... He calls him out and he says, I want you to, first of all, leave home. Okay, And it's not incidental that he had to leave something. right? Uh, he says, you can't live among your family. You can't live among your father. You can't keep your house, your home, 
you've got to completely ditch and abandon your own your old life. Okay, you've got to walk away from everything that was the old you, and I'm going to give you a new life of blessing. Well, why was that necessary? Uh, why did he have to separate himself from everything that was old and former? Uh, well, it really goes back, of course, to Adam. And to understand the gospel and really see Abraham's place in it, we've got to go back to Adam and Eve. And, of course, we looked at this. God created the garden. And the role of the garden was what? Remember this? A long time ago. The garden was to be a place where Adam and Eve could live in perfect relationship with God. Right? They were to dwell and live in the presence of God. And this was good stuff. And their, their life in the garden was a life of blessing. And being there, they were rightly related. Okay? And later on, we use, we're going to use the word righteousness a lot. Right a lot. And really, that's the life that Adam and Eve possessed. They were righteous. And all that means is that they were rightly related to everything. They were rightly related to God. Okay, they had a good, right relationship with Him. They were rightly related to each other. And they were finally rightly related to all that God had created. And what that means is simply that they could enjoy the fullness of those relationships. So they got to walk with God as He'd come in the cool of the day, and He would walk with them. And they got to enjoy presence and communion and fellowship with God. And ultimately, that is blessing. If we describe blessing in any other terms, we don't really understand what blessing is. Blessing is ultimately enjoying the presence of God and all He has made for us. And that's where Adam and Eve were in the garden. But of course we know they rejected all that. They sinned. They blew it. uh, And they, because of their choice to go their own way, they gave away that blessing. They were kicked out of the garden and no longer were they rightly related to God, to each other, or to the, to the created world. Uh, they were no longer righteous. Right? They were unrighteous, and everything was broken. Uh, well, you fast forward through Genesis, uh, from Adam and Eve until Abraham, things don't look pretty bleak. You know, population swells, and it's not a pretty picture. right? And it finally ends with everybody being wicked, so much so that God does what? Floods the earth, destroys every living thing. Right, because of the wickedness, because of the unrightness. Starts over with Noah, gets off to kind of a rough start, actually. The last scene is Noah getting plastered drunk, laying naked in his tent, you know, while his son, one son is uh, being quite perverse toward him. Not a great start for round two, right? Uh, continues on, you got the Tower of Babel. Again, people just going out of control in wickedness and evil, going their own way separate from blessing. And then right on the tails of the Tower of Babel are these words. God goes to Abraham and calls him and says, leave your home. Right? And first of all, God's call is that he would leave behind all that old life. Leave behind the world of sin, the wickedness, the unrightness that had characterized humanity up to that point. And he says, go to a land of blessing. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to give you this new place a new life, and I'm going to bless you immensely. All right? And it's important to see that what God is calling Abraham to ultimately is a return to the blessing of the garden. All right? He doesn't just mean you're going to get filthy, wit, filthy rich. Okay? Blessing must be seen, what? In context of right relationship with God, of enjoying communion and fellowship with Him. And that's exactly what God 
calls him to. Uh, the New Testament looks at it this way. In Romans 4 it says this, The Scriptures tell us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. David spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who were declared righteous without working for it. Okay? Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those who, whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Now, is this blessing only for Jews or is it also for the uncircumcised? Okay, the, the, the blessing that God was calling Abraham to is a life of joy with God, of his life being cleansed and forgiven, the unrighteousness being converted, changed to rightness before God. Uh, Hebrews 11 puts it this way, It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and to go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive the promise yet, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. Okay, so what was the promise? Was it just land? Was it just, you know, a farm and a place to grow sheep? No. He says, obviously, they were looking for a country they could call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. Right, so ultimately, the blessing that God is calling Abraham to is not simply a, a land and a nation. It is ultimately the garden. Okay? He is calling him back to the garden, to a heavenly homeland, to once again having right relationship with God. <clears throat> Uh, and then finally he says, so, so he's, he calls him from home, from his old life, to a new life of blessing, uh, to restore, once again, right relationship with God, with each other, and with creation. And then he says, finally, and not only that, but you are going to be a blessing to the nations. Okay? Through you, all the nations are going to be blessed. And, and, I, don't, and I believe God did not mean just during Abraham's time and day, or even during the time or the dispensation of Israel. But I think God meant that all nations of all time, all people from this point forward, would be blessed through Abraham. All right? uh, thankfully, I'm in good company when I say that, because the writers of the New Testament say the same thing. I didn't make it up. Galatians 3. Uh, I love this. He says, The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. Okay? What's more, the Scriptures look forward to this time when God would declare the Gentiles to be righteous because of their faith. This was the gospel Abraham proclaimed long ago when he said, All nations will be blessed through you. So, all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. So there it is again, right? Uh, God said the, the nations will be blessed through Abraham all right, so what was that ultimate blessing? Well, later on in verse, in chapter, in verse thir 13 of Galatians 3, Paul continues, Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. Okay, so we know that. Jesus is the gospel, right? His death purchases our redemption. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised Abraham. Right? 
So again, he's not talking here about two separate blessings. Okay, there's not the Old Testament way of salvation and the New Testament way of salvation. There is the way of salvation through the Gospel, and it began with Abraham, and he says, through Abraham, the blessing, the fulfillment of the Gospel would come to all people. God gave this promise to Abraham as, and his child. Notice that it's, the Scripture does not say to his children, as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child, and that, of course, means Christ. Right? So the New Testament authors, Paul specifically, sees that what it meant for Abraham to be a blessing to the nations was that God's ultimate plan of salvation, Jesus, would come through the line of Abraham. Right? Uh, and it means not only in terms of descendants, but it means in terms of method or process. In other words, this is God's plan, because uh, everything up to this point has not worked, right? It's ended in the flood, it's ended in Babel, and God is now starting a new work where He is going to call men to leave home, come to the land of blessing, and meet with God through the agency and work of Jesus on the cross, right? Now, of course, Abraham didn't see all that. You know, he didn't understand all that. Uh, he saw it in terms of a faint and dim picture, right? And he believed it, but not in all its detail. But of course, we see the whole picture unfold. And in fact, the rest of the Old Testament is giving us bits and pieces of the picture of what Jesus did. All right, so that's the blessing of God. Secondly. When we think about Abraham, we have to think in terms of the promise of God. His life was all about the promise. Now you may say, well, what's the difference between the promise and the blessing? Isn't the promise the blessing? Well, in a sense it is. Uh, but let me distinguish it this way. The blessing is what God gave. Okay, the what. The promise is really the how. Okay, He promised to give Abraham a blessing. Right? The blessing was, was the gospel. How he gave it was through promise. And this to me is just remarkable. Okay? Uh, the God of Genesis is the creator God who made everything. Right, Created everything. Sovereign over all things. Uh, and it would have been quite easy for God to walk away from the Tower of Babel and say, you guys are hopeless. right? And I... I'm washing my hands of this science project, okay? It's just a bad idea, right? But instead, what he does is he comes to Abraham and he makes him a promise, right? And it's really important and significant to see that in, in Genesis, God's promise originates with himself, right? It is very much a one-sided promise. Now, you know, kids, kids sometimes, small children, can be a bit manipulative, manipulative, right? Uh, they want things, and they'll beg you for things, and then when you finally just get annoyed and you say, okay, okay, you can have a cookie, or you can have whatever, then they say what? Promise me, right? Promise me that you're going to come through on your word, right? But that's not the nature of the promise in Genesis. You don't see Abraham seeking God. You don't see Abraham looking for God. You never find Abraham anywhere in the whole story pleading for anything for God for himself. Now, he pleads for things for other people, but never pleading anything for himself. And you never see Abraham going, promise me. You know, God, promise me you'll do this. Instead, you see God doing what? 
on his own initiative, without Abraham even having a clue, coming to Abraham and, and promising him blessing. And the reason we've got to start the gospel with Abraham and not later with like Moses or David is that it's very clear that with Abraham, the blessing comes with absolutely no strings attached. It is promised, right? It is initiated by God. It completely uh, begins and ends with God. And none of it's dependent on anything about Abraham. Okay, God doesn't say, you know, Abraham, you're such a good guy. I just feel like blessing you. Nothing like that, okay? It is absolutely independent of anything in, in Abraham. The promise originates with God. And it's a gift that is freely given, right? God doesn't say, look, Abraham, if you'll, if you'll keep my commands, if you'll keep your nose clean, if you'll not worship foreign gods, if you'll only have one wife, you know, if you'll follow my directions, I'll give you promise. I'll, I'll give you this blessing. In fact, it's interesting. One of the remarkable things through the whole Abraham story is actually how little God tells Abraham, right? God says, you're going to have a son. And so Abraham and Sarah try for many years, many, many years, many decades to have a child. It doesn't work. And Sarah says, you know, this isn't working. I think God was confused and needs our help. Here, take Hagar, my servant, and have a child with her, right? Now, God never said he couldn't do that. God had never instructed Abraham he was only supposed to have one wife. And here we find out he has, he has more. He's keeping it in the closet somewhere, you know. Uh, we find Abraham lying. You know, he gives his wife away to this king, to that king. You know, the wife that's supposed to be the wife that the child's to come through. You know, Abraham is not like a super moral guy, actually. He's kind of a liar. He's deceiving. He's kind of tricky. Doesn't matter. Because the promise is not dependent on his behavior or his moral character. It's conditioned as a free gift given by God without any strings attached. Uh, Romans puts it this way in chapter 4. Clearly, God's promise uh, to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary, and the promise is pointless. Right? I love that. Okay, a promise, the kind of promise that God's talking about here is meaningless if it is in any way dependent on us. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. Uh, so the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. Right? I love that. And the promise was given to Abraham as a free gift. It is given to us as a free gift, right? An absolute free gift. And we are certain to receive it. We all are certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham. Okay, praise God for that. How many of you are trying to live by the law of Moses? Anybody? Okay, I'm not even trying. I'm not even going there. In fact, I think I have a confession to make. I think this morning I'm actually wearing a shirt of blended cloth. You know, I have broken the law, right? You've got to take me out and stone me, right? Praise God, we do not follow the law of Moses, okay? We receive the promise on the basis of faith. And therefore, Abraham is the father of all who believe, okay? So the promise is all of God. It's, it's free. 
And thirdly, it is all of grace. Right? The bottom line is, what God did with Abraham was a work, a move of grace. Right? Uh, some people wrongly think that the, the God of the Old Testament was the God of law, the God of the New Testament was the law of grace. It is not true. Okay? It is absolutely not true. God has always been a God of grace. And no one ever, from Adam and Eve to the last person who ever born on this planet, will ever come to God any other way than by grace and by receiving through faith God's free gift to us. Okay, amen. Praise God for that. That is, that is it. Okay? And the program that God started with Abraham has been the program of God, the plan of God, singularly from Abraham on. Okay? Uh, Galatians 3. And again, there's a ton of Scripture. And I'm, I'm only surveying a few of it. You know, when you look through all the Scripture about Abraham in the New Testament, there's much more. But let me just survey. Uh, Romans 11 says this. And since Abraham and the other patriarchs were holy, their descendants will also be holy. Uh, just as the entire batch of dough is holy because the portion given as an offering is holy. For if the roots of the tree are holy, the branches will be too. So it's pictured this way. A, holy, Abraham is holy. God in his work, we'll talk about how he does this, but God in his work made Abraham holy, right, right? The holiness of Abraham was transmitted, passed on to his descendants, just like a tree passes on its life from the roots upward, right? So that's the picture. Uh, but he says this, um, for if the roots of the tree are holy, the branches will be too. But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel, have been broken off. Right? And you Gentiles who were branches from a wild olive tree have been grafted in. Significant. We're grafted into Abraham. Uh, so now you also receiving the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. Okay, So that's the picture. We... Join with Abraham as children of grace. We are made holy from this root, this tree of Abraham, right? Um, well, how is this done? Final, final point. Uh, how is it we are made holy from Abraham? How is this holiness or rightness of Abraham passed on through his descendants and ultimately through us who are grafted in as a wild olive tree, grafted into this tree of Abraham? Well, it's simply by faith, Right? Uh, now, I know this is not anything new. No, nobody, hopefully, nobody's going, wow, faith. I didn't know that. If you didn't know that, this is really important. So take notes. Right? Uh, how do we become, how do we inherit the righteousness of Abraham? Well, we do it the same way Abraham did, by trusting and believing God. Okay? Through faith in the gospel. Faith in the work of Christ. Um, and what's interesting is, even in this, it can sound like it's something we do, right? It can sound like, it could sound like this, well, Abraham had such amazing faith that God saw this faith and it elevated Abraham in God's eyes as a good person. As if God looked down and saw Abraham and saw, man, there's a guy of just remarkable faith. Look at his faith. And somehow his faith gave him merit, Right? It's like, man, that's a good person because he is a guy who believes, right? Um, and, you know, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's fun to watch modern movies. And a lot of movies have picked up on the theme of faith. 
And they, they uh, have this message that all you've got to do is believe. And that faith in itself is enough, right? It doesn't matter what you believe in. As long as you're a person of faith, it makes you somebody worthy, right? But that's not how it was with Abraham. Notice what it says. Romans 4, 1 through 4. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? Well, if, if his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. Okay, there was nothing in Abraham that made him worthy, not even faith. Okay, faith did not make him worthy uh, of deserving God's grace. Uh, for the Scripture tells us Abraham believed God and God counted it or reckoned it to him as righteousness because of his faith. This is an amazing thing. Faith doesn't even make us good. Okay, Faith did not make Abraham good. Instead, all it did is it changed the way God did his accounting. Right? So the word reckon means account, count for something. And what God said is, Abraham, you are... You're wicked. You're sinful. You are under the, the curse of sin. But because you're willing to believe in what I have done for you, I am going to count that towards your account as goodness, as rightness. So Abraham's faith did not make him righteous. Okay? God made Abraham righteous, counted it to him because of his faith. Huge difference. A huge difference. There's nothing magical about your faith. There's nothing powerful about your faith. It's just that God receives it as the one thing, only thing, you can do to receive His gift. And then He counts to your account righteousness. Who is righteousness? Well, Paul tells us it's the righteousness of Christ. Right? He puts to our account the righteousness of Christ because we believe in what Jesus has done. Um, so we are made right with God. In other words, through our faith, through His reckoning, we are now restored to a right relationship with God. We receive and inherit the garden again. That's the blessing of Abraham. Um, <clears throat> clearly, God, Romans 4 again, clearly God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was not based on his obedience, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. So here's the whole deal. We are made right with God simply by believing what God tells us, right? Uh, last thing. Uh, and, and by the way, that rightness means we're, we're, we're now rightly related to God, we should be rightly related to each other, and we're being rightly related to creation again, okay? It's a process. You know, if you had a fight with your spouse this morning, just remind yourself it's a process, you know. It's not finished yet. We're working on it. But you should be being rightly related in all these relationships as the gospel does its work. Last thing. Um, it, it requires faith, right? Uh, Abraham was counted, reckoned to God as righteous because of faith. But it, faith must act, okay? Faith has to do something. Now, this gets really confusing because up till now, Paul's been saying over and over again that doing something can't save you. And now I'm saying that faith has to do something. I'm so confused, okay? Um, what does this mean? Well, 
uh, faith is not the same as works, okay? And again, Paul makes it clear in Galatians, I won't read it again, but Galatians 3, he makes it very clear that, that we're not saved by obeying the law, okay? So you can't do any work to save yourself, okay? Very, got to be very clear about that. Paul is very emphatic. There's no work you can do to save yourself, right? Uh, let, me, let me picture it this way. Uh, imagine that, you know, you've maybe seen the, the, the bridge kind of way to share Jesus, you know, the bridge, and there's like this, you were on one side and God's on the other, and there's this huge chasm between, right? And we need a bridge to cross to get from our lost state to where God is, right? Well, keeping the law is, is in essence, an attempt to build our own bridge across that gulf, right? By doing good deeds to establish our own righteousness, Right, to make ourselves good enough, right enough, to, to unite ourselves, to go across the chasm and be with God. Okay? And Paul says you can't do it. You cannot be good enough. You can't ever build your own bridge to bridge that gap. Right? But uh, James says, and, and also in Hebrews, it says that, that faith requires obedience. Hebrews says this, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed God. Okay? Faith requires obedience. Okay, if you don't have obedience as part of faith, your faith is nothing. Right? Uh, James puts it this way. He says, you say you have faith, for you believe there, there is one God. Well, good for you. The, belie- the demons believe this and tremble. How foolish. Can't you see that, with, uh, that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. Okay, And then he quotes the same verse Paul does, and so Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness because of his faith. Uh, here's the picture. We're, we're, we're back at the gulf, the chasm thing. We're on one side, God's in this huge chasm in between, Right? We tried to build our own bridge. It didn't work, right? Decided we can't build the bridge. So Jesus came, and Jesus, by his own death and resurrection and life, built the bridge, right? Uh, The bridge is there, okay? There's nothing we can do to add to the bridge. It's perfect and complete. But we're still standing on this side, and God's on that side. If faith is simply saying, yep, I believe in that bridge. That That is a great bridge. I love that bridge. I believe Jesus built that bridge. I believe Jesus built it by his death. I love that bridge. But I stand on this side and I never take one step onto the bridge. Okay, I don't really have faith. Right? Uh, maybe some of you have been on some of these really high bridges. They just, in the Grand Canyon in the United States, they just built this, what they call a skywalk. And it's this glass bridge that shoots out, like, I don't know, 100 feet out over the Grand Canyon. So when you walk out, you're on this glass pane looking like thousands of feet down. And I saw this video of how they built it. And, you know, people would go out there just shaking as they would creep out onto this bridge because it's kind of creepy. You're out there just hanging over this huge gulf, right? Um, Faith was taking steps out and putting your weight on that bridge, right? Okay, that is true faith. When you take steps to put the weight of your life on the work of Jesus, right? Abraham could have said, yeah, God, that is cool. You gave me this new land. I'm so excited. 
And I, I believe with all my heart that you're going to bless me. And one of these days, I'm going to get around to going there and visiting it. Right? Would that have been faith? That would not have been faith. Right? Faith required him to obey what God said and go. Right? To go. Uh, we are rightly related to God when we, when we take steps uh, in response to the truth of the gospel. Right? If we're not in our life, if there's not tangible uh, obedience, okay? if we're not changing who we are as a person, if we're not leaving our old home and on a serious journey to the new home, right? we really don't have faith. Right? If we are trying to make ourselves good enough before God by doing good things, okay, that's not faith. Right? If we're trying to perfect ourselves and prove to God what a good person we are by all our hard work and labor, okay, that's not the obedience of faith. But if we're saying, you know, I know that Jesus, uh, through his death, has restored everything that was lost in the garden, and I want to simply enjoy right relationship with God, and I'm going to start taking steps to enter into that right relationship with him, that right relationship with people around me, okay, and I'm going to actively do what I can to enjoy those relationships. Okay, that's faith. And God says, you know, I will reckon it to you. I will change your life, right? Let's pray. Father, we just uh, really do stand in awe at the miraculous story of the Bible a story of your grace and redemption. And Lord, it's just amazing that that it is all of you, that it all originated with you. It comes to us freely as a promise of grace. And all you ask us to do is just believe it. Uh, And to believe it to an extent that we actually take steps in our life uh, to move toward it, to move towards you. Uh, and Lord, what you mostly call us to is a life uh, in your presence, enjoying uh, and celebrating you. Lord, that's the gospel. And that's really the story of Abraham. And it really needs to be the story of our own life. So Lord, I just pray that we would, uh, we would have that kind of faith And we would have that kind of experience of a life of blessing, a life lived in your presence, filled with your spirit. Uh, That's what you call us to. We pray that we would experience that today in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.